Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Mayor Christina Mern reflects on managing a year of COVID-19 in the city of Findlay. And could we soon have some additional competition in the Micropolitan Community category? Also this morning, we begin at the end. Debut novelist Chris Whitaker's breakout thriller is one to add to your listening list with the audiobook voiced by noted actor George Newbern. Three Farm Daughters, a new venture by a trio of sisters, demonstrates just how different the ag industry is today, both in terms of the people doing the farming and what they are producing. And we're cooking up a tasty breakfast with this week's collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, March 12, 2021. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast is calling for sunny skies today and a high 56, partly cloudy tonight with low 28. After weeks of declining cases, there's been an increase in the number of active COVID cases in Hancock County. The latest data from Hancock Public Health shows that there are 73 active cases in the county, an increase of 15 from last week. Three people are currently hospitalized with the virus in Hancock County, which is an increase from two the week before. Get more coronavirus data and information on our website. Hancock Public Health held a COVID-19 vaccine clinic at 50 North yesterday. Absolutely. It's important so that we can hopefully get back to normalcy someday soon and that we can achieve herd immunity so that the vaccine can stop mutating and growing throughout the population. And Shannon Chamberlain with Hancock Public Health says about half of those 600 doses were the one-shot Johnson & Johnson vaccine. She says that the people who got the two-shot vaccine will be notified when to come back for their second dose. A 2,000-plus dose clinic will be held at the University of Finley tomorrow. Get more on that on our website. The Ohio Department of Job and Family Services continues to struggle to combat unemployment fraud, which is slowing down the processing of legitimate jobless claims. The latest numbers are so high, the Department of Job and Family Services says that many of them are likely fake. For example, more than 120,000 claims were filed last week, but the department has flagged at least 20,000 for possible fraud. The week before, almost 30,000 were flagged out of 100,000. ONN's Tracy Townsend reporting, people who believe their identity was stolen and used to file a fraudulent unemployment claim can file a complaint online. We have a link on our website. The site of the Finley Village Mall will be divided into five separate lots for possible future sale. The Finley Planning Commission approved the request by Finley Mall Capital Holdings LLC. The biggest of the five lots, at about 29 acres, is the majority of the mall and more than 1,300 parking spots. The mall was sold last year to the parent company of Finley Mall Capital Holdings, Cohan Retail Investment Group. Get more details on our website. More news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm John Marshall, WFIN News. Eight days until spring and one hour less after <laughs> after the weekend. So that's the good thing about the uh, spring. For the only thing uh, that I hate about the, the one thing that I hate about the shift to daylight saving time is losing that hour of sleep uh, on the weekend. And so I guess we can look at the bright side and uh, and say that, At least we're one hour closer to spring. Today, if you are looking for a reason to celebrate, it is Middle Name Pride Day. Remember a few days ago, it was uh, Know the Meaning of Your Name Day or something like that. Today is Middle Name Pride Day. Paul, my middle name, Paul. Uh, Named for both of my grandfathers, my mom's dad and my dad's dad. Both were named Paul, and so I kind of ended up with that. And my my son's middle name is Paul. I kind of pass that along through the family. So middle name Pride Day today. National Baked Scallops Day. National Plant a Flower Day. National Preschoolers Day. National Working Moms Day. And World Day Against Cyber Censorship. So the reasons to celebrate the observances happening today. We always look forward to this every year. Dictionary.com has added and updated its database, added to and updated its database with hundreds of new words, uh, many of which this year, not surprisingly, inspired by the COVID-19 pandemic or the social and cultural movements of the last year. So uh, let's see here. 
two of the new words in the dictionary, and there are hundreds, so I can't go through all of them, but some of the most interesting ones, cromulent and embiggen, were both inspired by a 1996 episode of The Simpsons. Interestingly enough, during a scene which hinged on the meanings of both the nonsense words. Uh, But they're not nonsense words anymore. They are actually in the dictionary or in dictionary.com. They uh, define cromulent as acceptable or legitimate and that embiggen means to make or become bigger. Another word being added, I don't know, have we reached critical mass in the English language when we are adding words that were created by an animated sitcom? (laughs) I mean, is that what we have come to in our language, in our culture? Another word being added is supposedly, supposedly, which comes from the character of Joey Tribbiani on the TV show Friends. Again, these are not new words. They've been out there. Now they are being legitimized. Uh, Some of the other terms added included uh, hybrid learning is a thing, super spreader, and a due definition for the word Zoom. Obviously, that's been part of our lexicon forever, but now the word Zoom has a whole new meaning. Other entries like doom scrolling, obsessively checking the internet for bad news, or sleep hygiene, trying to maintain a quality of sleep, were directly inspired by habits that many of us were partaking in during lockdown. And uh, some of the cultural terms being added include critical race theory and over-police. So some of the new words added to the language according to dictionary.com. Always interesting to see what the uh, new words are for the year. Uh, This is good news, not entirely unexpected news. This week, of course, marks the one-year anniversary of the pandemic, and a new CNN uh, CNN poll finds that Americans are finally beginning to feel optimistic about the future. More than three-quarters of those in the CNN poll, 77% to be exact, say that the worst of the pandemic is now behind us. Uh, That's 26 percentage points higher than at any other point in the past year. So we are more optimistic that the end is in sight than we have been to this point. Uh, It is still named the top issue facing the country, but 30% feel that way now compared with 46% who said so in January. Not surprisingly, there is a wide gap by political party. 51% of Democrats say the pandemic is the nation's most important issue. Just 11% of Republicans feel the same. And the more optimistic outlook comes as cases, hospitalizations, and deaths continue to fall from their peak in January and as vaccinations continue to ramp up. But the poll reveals a partisan divide on vaccines as well. 92% of Democrats say they have gotten at least one dose of the vaccine or plan to compared to just 50% of Republicans. So By the way, speaking of the uh, pandemic, you knew that this was uh, happening, and it appears that the first dating site has added a an, an option for singles to declare their vaccination status on the dating app. Uh, Coffee Meets Bagel, the dating app Coffee Meets, Meets Bagel, which I am not familiar with, one of the smaller platforms out there, I guess. Uh, They have added a vaccine status option, along with all of the other uh, options that you add to your profile. You can now add vaccine status to declare if you have received the COVID-19 vaccine. And then uh, you can select one of five responses, fully vaccinated, partially vaccinated. So you got the first shot, not the second shot, planning to get vaccinated, not getting vaccinated or prefer not to say. So, uh, now, it, we mentioned the other day that this is becoming uh, very popular to declare your vaccination status on your dating profile uh, amongst all of the dating platforms. This is the first one to actually make it one of the categories, along with male, 
you know, male, female, your age, eye color, hair color, vaccination status. So it's an actual option uh, you know, on your status. The app says 61% of users on the app say knowing that their potential knowing their potential partner's vaccination status was at least somewhat important to them. 43% say they are more likely to want to match with someone if that person mentions that they are vaccinated. So there you go. Uh, and again, I don't know if this is a permanent thing or just a temporary thing, but it is now actually part of their profile. Be interesting to see how many other dating apps follow suit. Sign of the times. And uh, again, this is one of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories. Definitely a buzzworthy story. People would be buzzing about this on social media. So get ready uh, for the outrage to begin on this. Amazon now says that they will not sell any books that frame LGBTQ identity as a mental illness. Amazon stated that policy yesterday in a letter to four Republican senators who asked why the online retail giant decided to stop selling the book when Harry became Sally, responding to the transgender movement. Marco Rubio of Florida, Josh Hawley of Missouri, Mike Braun of Indiana, Mike Lee of Utah questioned Amazon in a letter last month about that decision. Uh, Conservative author and philosopher Ryan T. Anderson noticed the company had dropped his 2018 bestseller, and these senators, outraged, decided to inquire as to why, and they say that they are, it's a matter of policy, they will no longer sell books that frame LGBTQ identity as a mental illness. There you go. Discuss, Discuss amongst yourselves. You know people be... Taking that up today. And speaking of crazy stories, right around the corner from March Madness, Selection Sunday coming up, the uh, NCAA tournament about to kick off, and the NCAA actually has trademarked uh, March Madness and March Mayhem, just to be on the safe side. It trademark anything close to March Madness. March Mayhem. Midnight Madness, NCAA owns that trademark as well. It's all surrounding their NCAA basketball tournament, of course. And as big companies, big organizations often do, they are very protective of their trademark. They have now filed a complaint against the Virginia Urology Company claiming that their uh, advertising slogan bears a close resemblance to the March Madness slogan for the basketball tournament. Uh, Virginia Urology uh, has has been running a vasectomy mayhem (laughs) advertising campaign. And the NCAA argues that this will result in confusion, mistake, or deception. Um, Now, the Patent and Trademark Office actually okayed uh, Virginia Urology to use and trademark of their own vasectomy mayhem back in September. So they actually own the trademark, and now the NCAA has filed a complaint because they say it'll create confusion. <laughs> I don't know. Would you would you confuse the two? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't think that I would get those two confused. You know what I mean? I think they are very distinct and unique. I don't think there's much confusion there. <laughs> I don't think the NCAA has anything to worry about. There you go, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. Well, our cover story this morning, as we've been talking about all week, uh, this week marks the uh, first uh, anniversary. The first anniversary. <laughs> this, that sounds like that sounds it's like not going to happen again. No, no, no. This is the <laughs> one-year anniversary of the uh, beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. It was uh, yesterday. It was the anniversary of the uh, pandemic being declared, the World Health Organization, CDC, and uh, yesterday was the anniversary of Governor DeWine uh, ordering the shutdown of schools, which started all of those dominoes falling, remember, one year ago. So we thought it would be appropriate to kind of look back uh, and reflect on what has happened over the uh, past year. Finley Mayor Christina Mern with us this morning. 
And we've talked a little bit about the impact in the city of Findlay. Uh, You have emphasized uh, over and over again how fortunate the city was to be in the financial position we were going in with uh, quite a bit of carryover funds, kind of a rainy day fund to pick up the slack. Definitely. You know, anytime you have that financial security behind you, you're able to breathe a little bit easier. Certainly, we... We took a lot of steps to continue to position ourselves um, positively and with between cutting our expenses, our revenue coming in a little bit stronger, the Bureau of Workers Comp from the refunds from the state of Ohio and the CARES dollars, you know, we were able to put $2 million, a little over $2 million in the bank again last year. And so... So you actually added to the uh, carryover, added to the... We did, you know, and a lot of that, you know, we had the CARES dollars over a million dollars from that and as well as the workers comp. So Mm -hmm. that definitely helped. But our team did a fantastic job of cutting their expenses and and meeting our targets when we asked them to adjust. Well, that is uh, dramatically different than a lot of uh, cities that faced layoffs and uh, are looking uh, into 2021 to continue to uh, cut uh, expense items. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of cities are are hurting. In fact, the the latest bill uh, includes a lot of funding uh, to help out those municipalities that desperately need it. We're not in that situation. Correct. It's really challenging, especially the cities in Ohio have been, um, it's been challenging because they're funded through income tax. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of other communities across the country are not funded that way. So as I was talking to my colleagues specifically in Ohio, they had to cut, you know, furlough and cut employees yeah. right away. Yeah. And, um, you know, myself, and Columbus, you know, Finley and Columbus, and I think there was maybe one other community that had, um, you know, an emergency fund in essence to be able to kind of weather the storm. Well, uh, you know, it, talking about being able to set aside uh, money in the uh, past year heading mm-hmm. into 2021, that actually kind of throws out all of the rest of the, the questions I have because <laughs> we were talking about how much have we dipped into that rainy day fund and is there a plan to replenish it? But it right. sounds as though that's not a we issue. didn't yeah we didn't um and i was prepared to dip into it as much as about five million mm-hmm. like i was like okay if we can dip in no more than five that's fine we're gonna still have a healthy carry for it you know this year we're still gonna have to see how things pan out i obviously want to be very protective of that so again even though we've proposed a deficit budget on paper our departments do a great job of managing managing their expenses as we mm-hmm. go through the year and we continue to be cautious you have to be we really don't know what the long-term repercussions are going to be as we kind of see things grow um, as you know I was a proponent of the direct fiscal aid and and it was more so listen if you're going to be giving out money then put as least restrictions on it as possible and allow the communities to put it to work mm-hmm. so as we start reading through what the restrictions and how those funds can be used it looks like Finley's going to get a substantial amount of money. And so we'll be figuring out how we can put that best to work, you know, to support our citizens and protect our operations and make sure that over the next couple of years, we continue to be able to invest in the way that we have realized sets us apart as a community. So being able to weather the storm over the past year really speaks to two things. Number one, obviously, uh, good fiscal planning and management uh, in the years leading up to this to be, Correct. to have Definitely. Uh, to have the funds to be able to, to have that safety net. But also, and again, as you were saying, because funding is primarily uh, prim- primarily comes through income tax, really speaks to the resilience of the business and corporate community in the city of Finley. I mean, here again, uh, some cities have seen a dramatic uh, effect on their uh, business community. We have not seen, I mean, we've had a handful of businesses that have closed or are in the process of closing. Stock and Field is one, you right. know, of the big ones. Uh, but other than that, most of the businesses, I can't think of a whole lot that have closed permanently because of Correct. this. Correct. Yes. There are not many that I'm aware of. There was a couple of small businesses um, that decided, you know, uh, Bindles Appliance, Brindles Appliance decided, you know, to they were looking at retiring in the next couple of years and decided to, to yeah, maybe accelerate in a couple right. of uh, So that cases, we definitely but. have seen that, but you're correct. We have not seen widespread closures or long-term shutdowns. And I know there was kind of mixed feelings from some of the employees early on concerned mm-hmm. that they were still going to work and 
But really, I would say that the benefit has been that a lot of our manufacturing, a lot of our companies are essential businesses. And we were able to continue to operate safely. Our business did, did a fantastic job of, you know, maybe shutting down for a day or two as they kind of relayed things out within their businesses mm-hmm. to make sure it was a safe environment. Yeah. But we continued to operate. And because we were able to do that, we were able to kind of pick up business from other companies that that had closed um so it really spoke to that di- you know a little bit of the diversity of our companies you know we aren't completely office heavy we have strong manufacturing we have mm-hmm. variety in our manufacturing mm-hmm. having the warehousing and logistics you know when food has to always move right and, <laughs> and having those individuals at work uh and generating an income meant that they had the dollars to support the smaller businesses, exactly. the restaurants, and, and so on. So, again, yeah, it's a, it's a trickle effect. effect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, which actually, that kind of leads us to the <laughs> other issue that I wanted to bring up. Since we had you here, this actually came out last week, and I kept waiting for this to get some play <laughs> in the in the media. Really, uh, this story has not gotten a whole lot of attention, and I think it deserves more. Uh, recently, a committee of representatives from a number of federal agencies made recommendations to the Office of Management and Budget that the baseline for what defines a metropolitan statistical area be changed. Currently, the baseline is 50,000 people at its core. If you have 50,000 people at its core, that defines a metro area. Uh, areas smaller than that are micropolitan communities mm-hmm. such as Finlay. The proposal is to double that to 100,000 people, which would mean that 144 cities that are currently metro areas uh, would become micropolitan areas, including cities like Bismarck, North Dakota, Corvallis, Oregon, Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Those are some pretty big, sizable cities that would become micropolitan statistical areas and thus in the same category as, uh, as Finley. Now, they're not too happy about that those cities <laughs> i thought it was interesting they're concerned about possibility of how that would affect economic development obviously mm-hmm. we can tell them that micropolitan <laughs> right. communities are, are just fine with economic development thank you uh they are also concerned about how it would possibly impact federal funding i'm worried your take on or i'm worried i'm con- <laughs> curious your take on this are you concerned of becoming a smaller fish in that pond that we are a big fish in right now i'm not you know there's not much i can control if the federal government decides sure. to reclassify sure i think that we still do a fantastic job and will continue to do a fantastic job of economic development projects and reinvestment within our businesses and community um, i think that they have a a long case ahead of them to try to make that change i could definitely see them changing what support or um, programs fall in in support of an MSA. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see them changing what that core attribute requirement is. Uh, but I don't think it would really change the overall composition of what they are trying to do from an economic development standpoint, except mm-hmm. for some of the resources that they get through the federal or state government. Um, for example, you know, CDBG, community development block grant funding is based off of um, your entitlement versus non-entitlement communities. And so you get larger amounts based off of population. Mm -hmm. And if they are then changing the MSA structure, I I could definitely see that for them. So you see there, there, would there be uh, some added competition for economic development dollars, federal dollars uh, between Finley and now suddenly 144 more cities uh, added to that collection of micropolitan communities? Uh, I mean, is that concerning at all? And, and here's the thing, because uh, I think I mentioned some examples. I believe yeah. I believe Lima is a metropolitan area. One of the smaller <laughs> ones would certainly be they reclassified are. as a micropolitan community. So even just down the road, you would have kind of added competition in that uh, category. I'm not worried about it. We we are competing against every community every day from an economic development standpoint. So the, it may change what type of um, incentives they have to offer, but we really offer pretty much everything we can. Um, and pretty much everything every community can. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't see it as a economic development challenge. I think that there will be some changes primarily for them. Um, but I 
I, again, I think there's still a lot of support out there for them. You uh, bring up a, a good point that this uh, corresponds to very soon we'll have the uh, numbers out from the most recent census. Correct. So uh, yes. that may be the impetus for you know looking at all of this. And 50,000 to designate a metropolitan area does seem rather small in this day and age. Right. Which is which brings to the the flip side of that uh, of that coin. I mean, Findlay's population now is what forty one thousand some some odd. Yeah, so the pro- projections I think we're, were forty three. I would expect yeah. with the census, we're so probably closer to forty five. If these uh, if these numbers do, wouldn't change, one could certainly see in the next decade, decade and a half, that Findlay might be knocking on the door of becoming a metro. Uh, area, uh, and you talk about you talk about going from a big fish in a little pond to a little <laughs> fish in a big pond. You right. know, would that is that possibility perhaps more concerning than the other scenario? Um, you know, I think that's something that we watch pretty closely, and we'll continue to monitor. Um, we because have that would change things. That would that would definitely change things yeah. for the city of Finley, and we would weigh what what that looks like. Our our population within the city limits is not growing substantially Mm -hmm. um, year over year. We're growing above the majority of the rest of the state of Ohio and a number of other communities. Um, But I would foresee that that, that's something that we're kind of just keeping our eye on and we'll continue to evaluate if it makes sense to, to grow. Interesting story, though, and will certainly be worth following. I know you'll be uh, looking at that to see yeah. you know, how those numbers. I can't wait to see the yeah. census data. What, yeah, what those uh, recommendations, if those recommendations are, are acted on by the Office of Management and Budget, especially as the uh, new census figures come out. Again, Finley Mayor Christina Mern with us this morning. Thanks very much for dropping by. We Thanks, appreciate Chris. it. Another title to add to your reading list this morning, or more accurately, your listening list, poised to be the breakout thriller of the year, We Begin at the End is a fast-moving crime drama by debut novelist Chris Whitaker. And joining us is George Newburn, who reads the audiobook version for Macmillan Audio. Now, George, people may remember you from your role on the uh, TV series Scandal or as Steve Martin's son-in-law in in the Father of the Bride films. What was attractive to you as an actor about the art of audiobooks in general and creating this audiobook in particular? Well, uh, in in general, I've been doing it for about six years, and I've I've always uh, done and loved uh, voiceover work, but this specifically, uh, the audiobook um, job is, audio narrator job is very different than anything else I've ever done. And it's, 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 I think it's actually the hardest, hardest job uh, to do well that I've ever done because you have to do, you have to wear so many hats, you know, you have to direct and direct yourself and engineer yourself and uh, break down the script. You have to um, do research uh, and, and then all do it all at the same time while also listening for noises outside. Yeah. So it's, it's a real, um, it's an athletic uh, uh, job to do and, and to do for hours on end by, by yourself. You're not with anybody else. So that, that's, it's hard. It's very difficult to do very self but but it's fun. I love it. It's uh, challenging and stimulating and exhausting. What what makes this a a compelling story? Kind of uh, take us through the, the storyline here and why, why you found this so compelling. Well, <laughs> Chris Whitaker, um, uh, I think this is a debut novel, and he's just to hit this out of the park. Um, it's um, sort of a multi-generational um, uh, thriller, more suspense, um, family uh, drama. Not, not. I wouldn't say it's a. Uh, um, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's a. Gosh, it's a lot of things. There's a lot of different genres, but. For me, it's mostly about these characters and their <clears throat> sort of emotive journey and, and trying to survive. This 17-year-old girl, Duchess, is, um, has to raise her younger brother. And, uh, her mother dies early, and then there's a uh, local sheriff who's battling health problems, and he's looking in on them and trying to sort of, you know, sort of foster them and try to help them, but she doesn't want help. Um, and then there's... <clears throat> the sheriff's best buddy who went to jail for murder 25 years ago is now coming back into town is being released. So that brings up a lot of bad feelings uh, between the folks there. And uh, it's in the town is basically starting to die on the vine. Uh, and so it's trying to renew the town at the same time 
you know, people are, are really struggling uh, to make it, uh, all seen through the eyes of this 13-year-old girl. So it's, um, it's, a suspenseful, it's suspenseful, but it's about loss and sacrifice and uh, perseverance. Um, it's a great movie. I really, really recommend it. Those, uh, those... Super, Those uh, overriding themes are ones that everyone can certainly relate to. Maybe not the family in jail necessarily, but but the overriding themes there uh, are are certainly relatable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody's, you know, this Duchess girl's mother was was an addict um, who just couldn't couldn't get past it. And she ended up uh, passing away early. And, you know, everybody's got someone like that in their life. And, um, you know, I, I, and it's also sort of about, you know, people taking care of each other and, you know, not looking the other way when you see somebody uh, in your community that is struggling, but maybe says they don't want help, but you have to sort of keep showing up and being available for them to help them through. We all have to sort of help each other get through. Yeah. Uh, we, we've certainly uh, seen th- that point drive itself home over the past year, no question. Um, well, you were You were talking about you know, creating uh, an audiobook being such a challenge for an actor because you have to create these characters um, really all by yourself uh, without a whole crew and a director and, you know, script writer and, and all of that necessarily. Uh, talk about uh, talk about creating those those characters as a voice actor. I mean, I, at, at first, my thought would be it would be similar to doing voice work for an animated movie, but here again, you only have the visual, and and you know this is strictly an audio format. Yeah, I think that audiobook narration is like is a different beast from you know animation or uh, regular voiceover. What it is is I have to imagine the, the listeners in their car or folding their laundry or. <laughs> doing some other thing while they listen to a story being told to them, you know? So you have to, um, you have to make sure that the characters and, and, uh, whatever the subject matter is pops out audibly for them to understand the story. But at the same time, you don't want to, you don't want to like, um, hit it too hard. You don't want to over dramatize or over characterize stuff because it takes folks out of the story, I think. So it kind of helps to have, almost a middle-of-the-road sort of delivery, but then differentiate your characters, not necessarily fully dramatize them, because I think when you fully dramatize them, you take the listener out of the equation. The, the listener wants to actually fill in some of that for themselves. They don't want to just be spoon-fed every detail of the book, yeah. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, George Newburn with us this morning. He reads the audiobook version of We Begin at the End, fast-moving crime drama slash thriller uh, from uh, debut novelist Chris Whitaker. We've got it linked up at our webpage. We want to learn more about it. George, thanks very much for uh, taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Good talking to you. You know, this is a big farm country in Northwest Ohio, so what we're going to talk about uh, here in this segment will not come as a surprise for many folks uh, who are listening this morning, but agriculture today is a very different industry than it was a generation or two ago. Case in point, last year, three sisters teamed up on their family farm in North Dakota with a mission of bringing better wheat from the fields to your pantry and now their new brand three farm daughters is helping to do just that joining us are the three farm daughters of the sproll family sisters annie molly and grace and grace i want to start with you what was the inspiration for starting this company so all three of us are wives and moms and being so health has just taken on a whole new importance for us as we nourish ourselves and our families and we, as farmers growing good wheat on our family farm, we were learning all about the nutritional benefits that good wheat had to offer. And so the two of those combined were the, really the driving force for creating three farm daughters together as sisters. So, Molly, we talk about how the ag industry looks different today, both in terms of the people who are doing the farming and in many cases what they are producing, uh, being very cognizant of these trends in consumer preference. Talk about what makes your line of products unique. Yeah, so our line of products are all powered by good wheat, which is a wheat varietal that offers high fiber, uh, has nutritional benefits such as high fiber, uh, additional protein and lower calories as well as uh, our flour has lower gluten. 
So we just love that we're able to use a week to really bring a flower and a pasta to life that has additionally better nutritional value. And it's kind of interesting, the uh, Ag Secretary the other day was just talking about how we have uh, not just a food insecurity issue uh, in this country in many cases, but also a nutrition insecurity issue. This, I know you feel, is, is really helping to bridge that nutritional gap that we have in American diets today. Yeah, a lot of studies have come out to say that, or to show that a lot of Americans are not actually getting the recommended dietary fiber levels they need. And so being able to provide a pantry staple, such as pastas and a flour that's an ingredient that can go into so many things, that has attributes of high fiber, is really um, exciting for us as consumers ourselves, but also as three-front daughters, to provide this to our other consumers, to help them to get the recommended dietary fiber into their diets. And, so we're really excited to be able to offer these high-fiber products. And uh, obviously presents a, a great business opportunity. Now, Grace, uh, how do we incorporate uh, this uh, into our diets next time we're cooking at home? You have uh, some uh, recipe ideas? We do. We have a collection of recipes to see on 3 And we're always trying creating new recipes to add there, as well as seeing really a lot of our consumers' creativity to share on our site as well in our recipe section. So... We, my personal favorite right now is the Camarols. We actually grew up making Camarols with our grandma Christine a lot. And so that one is a tried and true, makes the whole house smell delicious in the <laughs> Saturday morning. Is that maybe the, the most fun part of the job is uh, taking uh, all of this and, and uh, putting it to, to use and creating these recipes and all of that? It absolutely is one of the best parts. <laughs> uh, Annie, I want to uh, bring you in here. I mean, we talk about, hey, this is not your grandfather's farm anymore, obviously. You're uh, definitely modernizing uh, this with a, with a whole take of three farm daughters. Where do we get more information and, and uh, find the three farm daughters online, all the recipes and all of that? So you can find us uh, through our website, which is threefarmdaughters.com. Gives information about our company, what we believe, and also our four products that we're currently offering. So we have our 100% wheat flour. We also have three artisan pastas, the fettuccine, the fusilli, and the linguine. We also are on our social networks, which is Instagram and Facebook. You can find us at Three Farm Daughters. So you can purchase our products through our website, threefarmdaughters.com, and we're also available on Amazon. The uh, three farm daughters of the Sproul family, uh, Annie, Molly, Grace, thank you very much for taking the time. Certainly best of luck in this venture. Thank you. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's report on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. Leading off today's broken news, the Indian River County Sheriff's Office in Florida says a 21-year-old man was arrested in February after he was caught driving 127 miles an hour on Interstate 95. 127 miles an hour. When officers inquired as to why he was driving so fast, he told police, I was listening to a song named Ciento Viente which means 120 in Spanish. So I was driving 120. <laughs> I know cops say that they've heard they've heard it all, but that I think is uh, is a new one. Um, the driver was also quoted as saying, "I'm sorry, I didn't know driving reckless was illegal." <laughs> I thought it was just discouraged. <laughs> Actually, illegal just he was uh, he's now facing f- several charges including reckless driving and felony fleeing a police officer <laughs> oh goodness well i mean to be fair to be fair back in the day whenever the song i can't drive 55 would come on you kind of put your put your put the pedal to the metal a little bit too so you know, it's not altogether out of the realm of possibility that a song on the radio could uh, influence your highway speed. So, this is not that far out there. <laughs> um, if you have kids, uh, you know that most kids would love to have a slide in their room, right? Wouldn't that be the, the coolest bedroom in the world to have a slide in it? But this may be an extreme case. Police in Washington State say someone stole a massive slide from the playground at Tierra Vida Park 
in Pasco, Washington, back in December. Finally, a couple of weeks ago, officers finally found the 400-pound slide inside a child's bedroom in a mobile home in Burbank. (laughs) Pasco police say they made the discovery while investigating uh, recent catalytic converter thefts. They say the uh, top of the slide had been sawed off and it had been repainted and mounted on a bunk bed. (laughs) Pasco Parks and Rec uh, arrived and recovered, reclaimed the slide. Police arrested Dustin Bushnell on uh, suspicion of possession of stolen property for the slide. (laughs) Just trying to do something nice for his kids. I mean, come on. One of the more unusual thefts in the broken news that you will hear about. I always say don't mess with Texas. Jacksonville, Texas. Police Department released footage from an incident that took place on Wednesday at a local Chick-fil-A restaurant. A customer who was visiting the fast food restaurant uh, being praised for his quick thinking after helping to stop a suspect accused of driving a stolen vehicle. Uh, As the man was fleeing uh, from police... Uh, it was a, a foot chase. He had uh, abandoned the vehicle and then being chased on, on foot by police. This guy this guy in the drive through lane at Chick-fil-A threw open his door and, and laid the guy out. <laughs> you, you see this. You see this in, in TV shows where the guy's running from police and the guy opens his door and just flattens the guy. And it actually happened right here. Uh, Police were able to apprehend the suspect at that point. Social media users applauded the assist from the Chick-fil-A customer, dubbing him Mullet Guy. Apparently, uh, rocking the mullet there. A local auto body shop even offered the guy a free repair to his door (laughs) as a result of the damage. (laughs) That is all kinds of awesome. (laughs) Even offered to repair his door for free. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, uh, I'm not sure where this is. I saw this online, but this is great. A woman claims that her boyfriend broke up with her because he incorrectly believed she was having an affair. Instead, she she says, she wasn't sneaking out of the house to go see her, uh, her lover on the side. She was sneaking out to go to McDonald's for... Uh, chicken McNuggets with her, which her boyfriend's vegan diet didn't allow for. <laughs> she wasn't really cheating on him with another guy. She was cheating on him with McNuggets. She says she snuck to McDonald's for months until recently her boyfriend got suspicious and confronted her. He accused her of cheating because she was constantly leaving the house and refusing to let him come with her. The couple broke up. Uh, she said later, Uh, Obviously, I came clean about the whole thing, but he doesn't believe me. He thinks I'm lying about going to McDonald's, and he's convinced I'm just covering up that I'm seeing some other guy. (laughs) He had a vegan diet, and she wanted McNuggets, so he was sneaking out of the house. (laughs) There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report, brought to you as a public service, more or less. Of Hancock County Veterans Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Everyone deserves to be safe and free from domestic and sexual violence in our homes, relationships, and communities. If someone you love is going through abuse, reach out and let them know they are not alone. Open Arms is here to help. Call our 24-hour crisis hotline at 419-422-4766. Open Arms provides free, safe, and confidential services. This message provided by WFIN. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Has the pandemic killed the five-day work week? A new poll for Deloitte finds that those who can work from home would prefer to continue to do so when restrictions ease. Now, this is not news. We've been talking about this for months now, but what was interesting in this survey is that on average, people who were polled in the survey said that they would prefer to only commute to the office just two days a week moving forward if they had their druthers. Now, the upside for companies is that if you can 
transition to a work at home model for your key people, then it allows you to widen your talent pool. You don't necessarily have to uh, have people, the best and the brightest, work for your company who are actually physically in your community. You can uh, recruit from all over the world for that matter. And there is evidence that suggests that people who work from home uh, are more productive. But here is the uh, other interesting part of this that uh, communities are now struggling with. What about all of the businesses that rely on office workers? You think downtown restaurants and uh, you know storefronts and so on that are in heavily business districts that rely on that steady stream of travel from workers who going out for lunch or doing a little shopping on their lunch hour. How do they adjust to that new normal? It'll be interesting to see post-pandemic how all of this changes moving forward could be one of the biggest lasting effects of a year of COVID-19. As we always do to finish up the week, we turn our attention to food and Kyra's Kitchen, my wife Kyra, is here with another collection of recipes. This morning, we're doing something a little different. We're going to do uh, breakfast. Yeah. We're going to have a tasty breakfast or maybe a brunch for this weekend, something like that. Or some people like it at supper time. You can do breakfast for dinner. There's nothing wrong with that. No, there isn't. But uh, this is something that we haven't done before, breakfast recipes, and we start with, this is uh, one of our family favorites, Uh, it is uh, French toast croissants. Yes. Uh, And this actually actually was my idea. Yes, it was. (laughs) Um, Many years ago, I got the idea that if you're going to have French toast, you Mm -hmm. should start with a French French bread. bread. (laughs) Um, Yep. And, you know. Croissants are a French bread, so mm-hmm. they make French toast with croissants. Yes, and it's actually really good. It is good. really good. It is really good. <laughs> it is. It's really good. So take uh, four croissants, uh, four eggs, uh, half a cup of um, whipping cream, one tablespoon of brown sugar, one teaspoon of vanilla, a half a teaspoon of cinnamon, a quarter teaspoon of clove, a pinch of salt, and two tablespoons of butter. So then whisk whisk your eggs, your cream, your vanilla, your brown sugar, your cinnamon, your clove, and a pinch of salt in a shallow bowl or dish. Whisk whisk that together. Preheat your skillet over medium-low heat. Add a tablespoon of your butter. Not all your butter, just a tablespoon of your butter to Mm -hmm. melt. Uh, Dip both sides of your croissant into the egg. And slice croissant. Yes, sliced. Yeah, you want to slice those. Yeah, slice your croissants and then... uh, um, now you've got me going. Well, no, you just <laughs> into you, you egg slice. mixture. Yeah, yeah so allowing it. Dip those in yeah. the batter, but you and allow it. it. You want to allow it to soak just for a few minutes. I mean, uh, on both sides, mm-hmm. and then place your bread in the pan and cook over the medium low heat until cooked through about four four minutes on each side. Now that compares to regular. Is it a little bit longer with the croissants to to cook it than um, with no, regular bread? Yeah, no, not really. Is I it, mean, it's it's about the same. Okay. Um, just keep an eye on it when it gets kind of golden brown on the one yeah. side. Then you know, flip it's it a little and, thicker, but it's a not, little bit. Yeah, I mean, I mean a little thicker yeah. measurement, but right. it's not a thicker bread. Correct. So it's yeah. not as yeah, not as dense. Dense. That's what there we I, go. That's, what, that's the there word we that go. I was looking yes. for. It's yes. thicker, but it's not as dense. Right. So yeah. Uh, yep. So so then um, as you go, as you're cooking the rest of the uh, croissants, um, you'll probably want to add some more, some more uh, butter, butter to the skillet, to the, yeah. to the skillet each time. Yeah. So so simple as that. I mean, yeah. It's really easy. Really easy. And it is. It is yummy. Yeah. Yeah, it's very uh, good. French toast croissants. Yes. So you can try that. Yes. Uh, because if you're going to have French toast, you should start with uh, French <laughs> To go along with that, uh, you've got uh, some easy breakfast potatoes. Yes. So this is a real easy um, uh, recipe. Uh, Two pounds of uh, russet potatoes, uh, three tablespoons of olive oil, one teaspoon of kosher salt, a quarter teaspoon of black pepper. If you don't have kosher salt, if you just have regular salt, that's fine also. Um, uh, Half a teaspoon of garlic powder. Uh, half a teaspoon of paprika, half a teaspoon of onion powder, and one tablespoon of fresh fresh minced parsley. If you don't have fresh parsley, if you have dried parsley, 
that's fine also. Okay. So largely that's a garnish more yeah, than anything right, else. So right. Yeah. So but I like putting it actually in and mixing it, you know, so you can do it as a garnish or you can put it in and yeah. and uh so preheat your oven to four hundred degrees, line a large baking sheet uh with a silicone mat or foil. I love my silicone mat. Uh <laughs> peel potatoes, dice into a half inch uh cubes. Um, and then place potatoes in a large bowl, drizzle with the olive oil, and toss uh, with the uh, rest of your ingredients. So you make sure that they're mm-hmm. all nice and coated yep. and ready yep. to go. Sprinkle them and get it going, get it really well coated. You can even do a shortcut and just put your um, put them right on, put your potatoes right on your uh, cookie sheet, and put your olive oil on it, put your seasons on it, and toss it that way oh, if you okay. don't want to. Okay mess up a bowl (laughs) depends on whether you like doing dishes or not i I don't think it's easier (laughs) to do it in a bowl though yeah i mean but yeah anyway yep yeah yeah the less dishes the better so (laughs) (laughs) i then give the uh um then put them place them in the oven uh for about 20 to 23 minutes uh then give them a, a quick toss um and turn on the broiler um, okay, and then that's so you're how you're baking get them, them first, right? And, and then, then broiling broil them, them just for four to five minutes. Keep an eye on them because that can, when you broil, it can burn them quickly. So, right. so just but keep that's an what eye makes on them. them. Crispy and yeah. Okay. One of the hints there with broiling is that um, you can kind of uh, crack your oven door. Oh, and then it okay. doesn't quite. It doesn't doesn't heat up yes, quite, as, quite much. as much. Okay, and and uh, a kitchen hack. Yes, this morning. Yes. Okay. So, but still keep an eye on them till they're golden brown and crisp, and then serve. All right, and uh, then for dessert or to go along with the French. Do- I don't know. Do you have dessert for breakfast? Uh, in breakfast, I mean, oh, usually yeah. we have a main course, a side dish, and then a yeah. dessert. I don't know. Yeah. A donut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be, um, but I suppose if you're doing a brunch or if yeah. you're doing breakfast for yeah. dinner, we could call this dessert. Yes. Uh, you have a yogurt fruit, fruit salad. salad. Yes. So this is always good with breakfast. So two mandarin uh, mandarin oranges, one cup of strawberries, one cup of grapes, one cup of blueberries, a half a cup of raspberries, a half a cup of blackberries, a banana, and your lemon juice to sprinkle over after you have everything mm-hmm. all... Um, uh, combined, and then one cup of vanilla flavored uh, uh, yogurt and a quarter cup of honey. So just add your fruit to a large bowl, um, sprinkle over your lemon, kind of toss it. That helps it so it doesn't brown quickly. Okay. Um, then add your yogurt and honey, mix well, and serve. Yeah, simple as that. I mean, yep. there's no cooking obviously involved or, or anything. Just right. toss it all together and yep. boom, there yep. you go. Yep. So, so it's that's easy. the best part of this. Uh, all, all of this is that it, it, it literally is no time at all. I mean, right. you're talking maybe a half hour. Yeah. Uh, at the most and you and have a really good breakfast not a whole lot of cooking involved and you've got a scrumptious breakfast yes. or brunch with your french toast croissants your easy breakfast potatoes and your yogurt fruit salad yep. so good stuff there we've got those recipes posted on our facebook page uh, the wfin facebook page also have them linked up at goodmornings.net collection of uh, breakfast recipes this morning from Kyra's Kitchen. My wife Kyra in the studio with us this morning. Thanks, Kai. You're welcome. And that will put a wraps on our podcast for today. Cap off our week here today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Of course, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, goodmornings.net. Check that out. Coming up Monday on the program, while some things may go back to normal relatively quickly post-pandemic, the economic impact for many families may well be felt for many years to come. So we'll talk about digging out from that hole till Monday morning. That is good mornings for this morning. Now that you had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.